Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commutes. I'm Aaron Stump, and we have recently started Chapter 7 of the podcast discussing meta-theory. This is the activity of proving some properties about your programming language or your type theory. So you're getting some theorems, but they're meta-theorems because they're about something that we're otherwise might be thinking of as a logical theory, like a type theory. So a meta-theory is an important uh, subject in the study of type theory and in the study of typed programming languages. And we started talking, started our discussion of meta-theory looking at some basic properties that we want statically typed languages to have, whether they're type theories, which are statically typed but impose some stronger properties, or simply typed, statically typed programming languages. And these, the, the central property here is type safety. We want, uh, and this is essentially trying to express the idea that the type system you've imposed on your programming language is accomplishing what you wanted it to accomplish. And as I've mentioned several times, the traditional um, way to do this, traditional as of the past several decades, is to decompose this, in, this property into two parts, type preservation, showing that if you have some program expression uh, and it evaluates a little bit, then it preserves the type it first had. So if you have an expression of type um, int and you run the code for a little bit, you should still have something of type int. It shouldn't somehow morph into a string or function pointer or something like that. Uh, so the type preservation, the types are preserved as you execute. And that shows us that your types are invariant uh, under program execution. But it doesn't show us that they do anything useful. I mean, you can have a type that says, like a top type, that's, uh, that types everything. That's invariant under execution. No matter what expression you have, it will still have type top because, as it executes because type top uh, classifies every expression by definition. So, yes, hooray, you have a type that's invariant under execution, but it doesn't establish anything. Knowing that something has type top tells you nothing because everything has type top. You know, this is a case of trivial universality. <laughs> Something's true of absolutely everything that it's not interesting to know that it's true of something in particular. Um, so, anyhow, uh, so inter more interesting type systems... Uh, do not have, you know, there's some type, some programs are ruled out by the type system. This type system says, sorry, you can't write that program under this typing discipline. You, you might, maybe it's perfectly fine, but it doesn't fit into my, this typing discipline. Uh, and so, uh, progress, the property that's come to be called progress, uh, is based on the idea that we are going to model bad behavior as undefined operational semantics. So if your program is going to try to do something it's not supposed to do and that your type system is trying to prevent it from doing, then the way we're going to sort of model that for the purposes of this uh, analysis is to have the operational semantics just not specify what's supposed to happen in that case. If you access an array out of bounds, what's supposed to happen? We'll just say the operational semantics just won't say. It'll be undefined in that case. As indeed, you know, they, when you're looking at practical languages like C, for example, uh, people talk about, oh, this expression, that semantics is undefined. You know, the, the C standard explicitly might say, we're not going to tell you what happens if you do this. For example, if you access an uninitialized variable. Now, actually, I don't know, perhaps the standard actually fills that in now. But for a while, that was certainly one of those 
you know, if you try to read the value of a, of a variable, a local variable that you didn't initialize yet, as I recall, the C standard more or less would just say, you know, you could get any crazy value and we don't promise you anything about those values. And that certainly seems reasonable, right? You, you program shouldn't make any assumptions about the values that variables have before they're initialized. And so if you access an initialized variable, that it's all, it's, you know, it's your response, you know, it's, that's your mistake. It's kind of your dumb thing to do. Um, so anyway, so uh, we're modeling, you know, incorrect, you know, things that we want to prevent by the type system, we're modeling them as cases where the, the operational semantics, which is our, again, this is kind of our mathematical definition of how programs run step by step. Um, so, you know, we're modeling this as saying that, that that's just undefined in that case. And so uh, if you prove progress, you're, and the reason it's called progress is it's showing that your programs don't ever get in that situation where the operational semantics is undefined. And if they don't get into a situation where it's undefined, then either they've reached a value, like you're done computing, like it's finally computed three or the string hello world or whatever it is, um, or they can actually continue computing. So they might be in the middle of an infinite loop. That's totally fine under the progress and type preservation. Like infinite loops are type safe uh, generally because you're, you know, nothing bad is happening. Uh, well, I guess we should say infinite loops are not type safe from type theory perspective, but there it's not, um, you know, proving that, you know, there it's not usually thought of as sort of like a, um, a progress property. I mean, it's, it's a progress property is kind of like a safety property. They call them in, uh, um, uh, in sort of formal methods. It's, it's saying like your program can never get into a bad state. As it executes along, it's always it's always safe in a sort of safe state. Um, so, uh, anyway, so th that's pr preservation and progress. And so we could talk a little bit about how we prove these things. I also wanted to talk a little bit um, about progress from the point of view of theorem provers and proof assistants, because I think I'll speak about this, and I probably have to pick up the question of how to prove these properties in the next episode. But so in a proof assistant, it's really common, like say Coq, the um, you know, widely used theorem prover based on um, a constructive type theory from INRIA in France. And in Coq, you know, a lot of people using Coq uh, every now and again find that they need some principle that is actually not part of, part of Coq's theory. And common examples of this are they might, you might need to do some classical reasoning for something. So, or that might be very convenient. And so you might like to add the law of excluded middle, which we've talked about long ago when you're we talking about, um, I, I forget, I feel like we talked about this long ago <laughs> in some earlier chapter. Uh, so you might like to add that as just an axiom, just to say, well, Koch has its theory, and I just want to just assume there is this, this thing that proves P or not P for any P that you want. Um, so that's a com pretty common axiom you might want to add in Koch. Uh, and another common axiom you might want to add is something like functional extensionality. So you might want to add, add an axiom that says, if I prove that for all inputs of type A, uh, F and B are um, give equal results, then, I'm uh, sorry, F and G give equal results, then I want to conclude that F is actually, so in other words, F, F and G being extensionally equal, their input-output behavior is the same, then I want to prove that they're, um, I want to just say that, that they're actually equal like F equals G. So if I saw an F somewhere, I could replace it with a G. 
and that would be you know legal. And Clark, uh, like many other constructive type theories, uh, because of the challenges of dealing with equality in type theory, uh, challenges which we will no doubt return to some later chapter, uh, Clark doesn't have functional extensionality. So uh, just knowing that two functions have the same impact behavior does not imply that they're actually equal and you could sort of re just replace one with the other wherever it occurs in some formula or some type or something. So sometimes you people want to add an axiom like that. And um, that, you know, so the, the thing I wanted to say about progress real quick as I park here on a very nice uh, sunny early spring day in Iowa um, that is that from a progress perspective, you know, axioms basically lead to violations of progress. And in the sense that an axiom for, under the Curry-Howard isomorphism, an axiom is just this mystery program that magically does something. It, it magically satisfies some type that you've imposed. And, but you have no idea what that mystery program is. By definition, it falls outside of the, you know, the, the type theory that you're, you're working in. And so the problem that people have with axioms, and this is a well-known problem, is that as you, if you use axioms in your um, clock development, let's say, if you actually need to evaluate a program that's making use of an axiom, it's going to get stuck. It may get stuck. That is, you may run along, and at some point it'll say, oh, we have the axiom getting called here. Now what happens? And we have, you know, again, by definition, the axiom is just a constant. It just, it's just a thing. It doesn't, you don't know how it computes. Um, so at least you, you don't know in the terms of the, the type theory you're embedding it in, or you have chosen not to express your knowledge if you had it. <laughs> um, and so you get stuck terms. And so those are, that's example of a violation of a of progress property over on the type theory side. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a problem in practice. It's, it's hard to deal with in that kind of situation. Okay, uh, thank you very much for listening, and we are going to continue talking about meta theory in the next few episodes.